Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I'm Brandon Laws, and thank you for joining us for today's episode. And if you're giving this a try, really appreciate it. I think you're going to love this episode. And you know, for those of you who have stuck with us, thank you for all the support and sharing on social media, the reviews, all that good stuff. We wouldn't have the show without you and the community. Really appreciate that. Today's episode, I have a conversation with two people. We got Tamara Chandler and Laura Dowling Grealish. They wrote a book called Feedback and Other Dirty Words, Why We Fear It, How to Fix It. You know, it was interesting about this. You may have noticed this if you've been listening, but we had a podcast on no feedback featuring Carol Sanford. And that was such an interesting discussion. I really hadn't thought of feedback the way she articulated it. Feedback should come from within because most people are biased or they look at providing feedback through their own lens, or quite frankly, they just don't know how to give feedback. So I think this book is a really good part two to that, which is really about, okay, how do we give feedback? Because feedback is very important, whether it's you know coming from within or you know people just sharing what they notice is happening in a non-pointed or harsh way. There's a lot of great ways to provide feedback. And Tamara and Laura really share that. So I think you're going to get a lot from this. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's always fun when you can bring a couple people onto the podcast and have a discussion. So I think you'll love it. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a review or share it on social media. Would appreciate the love, the support, all that. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all those places. So follow me there. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Tamara, Laura, it's great to have you in the podcast. Welcome. Hey, thank you. How are you? We're excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about your book, Feedback and Other Dirty Words, Why We Fear It and How to Fix It. Feedback, it's something we talk about quite a bit. You had mentioned early on in the book, there's a quote that I pulled from it. Your business will only rise to the level of your people. And I love that quote because you mentioned that feedback is really a big component of rising the level of the people in the organization. Why is this such a huge component to the growth of not only the people, but the business and the organization? When you think about feedback, most people often tend to go negative. But the truth is, if you lean into positive feedback, if we start with that perspective, positive feedback, it inspires us. It helps us understand our strengths and our superpowers. It lifts us up. And you know what? When we're in that state, we're highly engaged. We're happy. We work harder, we stretch more, we push ourselves more. And that's really what gets to the heart of improvement, right? How do we improve? How do we kind of go to that next step? But at the core of it, if we want to get better in the future, we need to understand sort of where we are and how we do that. And feedback is really the essence of how you do that. What's interesting about feedback, you alluded to this in the book, but I just know this from my work in general. I think when people hear feedback, they either think as a receiver, it gives them some anxiety, but also as a giver, it might give them anxiety as well, just knowing that they have to either provide, whether it's negative feedback or 
you know, positive feedback is a little easier, but what's the problem with the way feedback is right now with most people? I think what we have learned feedback is just wrong. And so when Laura and I first started doing this work, we got really clear that we needed to redefine feedback in general. Because to your point, if I walk up to somebody, if I walked up to you, Brendan, and say, hey, I've got some feedback for you. If you're like most people, your, you know, blood pressure just went up, your anxiety just went up, here it comes, right? You sort of like get in a hunkered position and wait for it. And that's because we have grown up, we've experienced feedback most of our lives with this idea that it's negative. And a lot of us still believe that the best way you help somebody get better is tell them what they're doing wrong, which actually science doesn't support at all. But we've mostly grown up in this world of I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you, and that's going to make you a better person. So we've defined feedback in that sense. And for a long time, because Laura and I do a bunch of work in performance management, we were working with clients and we we're saying, hey, we need to mm-hmm. you know, improve the way that your organization is sharing and providing feedback collectively. And, you know, people would just be like, well, we're horrible at that. We can't do it. But they were, again, looking at it in this very negative sense. And we realized if we're going to move these organizations forward, if we're really going to help them. We have to start with a clean slate. We have to redefine feedback. We can't get rid of it. We have to sort of reset. We have to hit the reset button and say, let's redefine what feedback means to all of us in a way that's very healthy and can help us grow and improve and thrive as humans and as teams. You just mentioned performance management and that you do a lot of work there. There's a quote that I love and I think it ties in nicely. The quote says, it's time to reimagine feedback as a fluid and ongoing conversation free of ratings, angst and judgment, end quote. And I love that because I think it sets the stage that, you know, this annual performance review, that's not really performance management because you get a rating at one time a year and that's like, that's your feedback. Versus you shift to this ongoing fluid conversation where both sides are comfortable giving and receiving feedback. Is that really what you meant by that? It is really what we meant by that. Absolutely. And lots of our clients are shifting to that culture, that culture of doing away with the annual review. Again, performance isn't enhanced or optimized by waiting around till the end of the year. And finding out that I'm a 3.6 instead of the four I imagined myself to be, it sends me into a spiral of despair. I'm not getting much out of the conversation that ensues that helps me do better. All I can think about is kind of licking my wounds and why, you dirty, rotten manager, did you call me a 3.6 instead of the four that I imagined myself to be? Right. And there's nothing in that 3.6 that helps anybody learn anything, right? Yeah. Right. It's a construct against some rating scale that most of us don't even understand. And of course, as we understand these rating scales, they're a fallacy, right? Because everyone judges differently against that rating scale. And so it's a lot more about the judger than it is about the individual who's receiving that rating. There's just so much badness that comes out of that versus leaning into, hey, in the moment, I'm going to help you understand the strengths and the positive things that help move you forward. You know, what's interesting about that is I believe and you mentioned this in the book, too, but people have a negativity bias. So they see that one low rating first before they'd see all those other high ratings or even the positive feedback. And I think that's what's wrong with performance reviews in general, Mm -hmm. or in receiving feedback. I think people just naturally go to the negative first. Why is that? Well, that's the biology. 
That's the biology in all of us. Again, the little bit of neuroscience that we looked at, and we looked at a ton, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's exactly what the human body is meant to do is just, you know, protect. And we go with that negative piece because we're drawn to it because we try to protect ourselves against it, right? And so let's say you get three positive statements in a performance review or a discussion. And one thing that you could work on, your body, your mind, your just protective mechanism goes to that one. It feels injured and maybe angered by it sometimes. And it can't really process the other thoughts. So, you know, one of the tips that we give to extenders and receivers in this kind of new feedback world is, you know, focus on one thing. Don't mix the message. You know, it's unfair to be unclear. So be very, very clear if there's something that is a better approach or something that does need to be corrected. Let's focus on it. There's ways to talk about it that can sit down on that fight or flight kind of tendency. But if it's appreciation and the good stuff I did, keep that separate and distinct and keep it flowing plentiful. Mm -hmm. Give up that stuff more than you typically do because it takes much more of that good stuff to stick in the brain because we grab onto the negative, but we don't grab onto the positive. So you've got to keep the positive going. I was going to add that we say in the book, you know, good can only win over bad by the numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we process negative information so quickly because we hold on it way longer than we do positive information. That's a big reason why we really advocate leaning into that positive more frequently, more often to really build trust and to help people understand all the goodness and the value you see in them. And that really sets a foundation for if you've got something harder later on, you've built that trust, you've built this connection that someone can truly take in that one piece of constructive or redirective feedback you might have. Yeah. Is that the five to one ratio that you talk about in the book where it's like you need five positive things for every one like constructive critical thing, right? In the connections, what we're really saying is that's not even necessarily feedback. That's just saying that individually, we are connecting human to human five times positively to one negative, right? And so it can be simple things as having a cup of coffee together, grabbing lunch, working on a hard project. What are the things that we're doing that are connecting us? So it's like building the threads of our relationship. And each of those positive connections builds, you know, stronger threads we're building a fabric that can support both of us. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily even have to be feedback. It just is about that connection. Yeah, I think this was the piece. And again, gosh, if you get to interview Dr. Gottman, that's John Gottman's work and he's out of Seattle and he and his wife do a ton of research. And it's really the underpinnings why we think feedback can be positive and it can work. All the underpinnings are about trust. You know, people are right who write books about that feedback doesn't work. If it's not coming from a trusted spot or a trusted relationship, you may as well, honestly, like they say, save your breath. But if you can build up this foundation of trust, the conversational model that we give out in the book, as well as, you know, the tips on the five to one, it's about emotional connection. It's truly not five pieces of disingenuous praise to every one piece of tough feedback. That's what we call, you know what, that sandwich that you're going to talk about later, that, you know, emotional connection of some kind is foundational for feedback to work. 
What's really interesting about what you just said there is it's the connection, it's the trust, all those. And I think in my mind, that's what people fear about giving feedback. There's a quote that I loved, and I think it illustrates the point I'm trying to make. The quote says, most of us don't want to hurt those we care about. So we tend to delay or even completely avoid sharing a thought or an idea that we suspect might upset the recipient and potentially damage our relationship. End quote. What do you say about that? Well, you know, earlier you were talking about the fear of the extender. What almost any data will tell you is that all of us complain we don't get enough feedback. But I would say, well, that's because most of us don't give enough feedback. And I think at the root of that is the fear of the extender. You know, we're like, someone's got to get this ball game started. And it has to be, you know, seeking feedback, but giving the extender an opportunity to lower their own fear. And so that's why we say start with seeking, because if we start there, then if I go to Laura and ask her for some specific feedback, I've just given her the permission and I've given her specificity about what I'm looking for, right? So I think a lot of this is about we have to lower the fear in the extender. And I do think that the sad thing is many of us have ideas or thoughts that could help those around us but we're so fearful of extending that because we haven't really done that work to build that relationship or we haven't had the conversation about how we'll give each other feedback. We haven't really established sort of that relationship and that norm. And so I think what we're offering in the book is, you know, here's the tips and tricks to establish that relationship. Here's how as a seeker of feedback to let the extenders know how to give you feedback. When is a good time? What type of things are you looking for? What triggers you that they should avoid? Right. And so I think the more that we just have those open conversations, we can lower mm. the stress that we see in the extenders. And hopefully that's going to unleash a lot of this. And we'll start to see feedback flowing a lot more, both in that we're seeking it and those that are witnessing the goodness that we are providing, as well as the things that are getting in our way, feel like they have that platform for helping us move forward. Actually, that's interesting the way you frame that up, because in my mind, I was like, okay, well, how does somebody naturally just become a seeker if you want to start there? Because not everybody's built that way. But I think like, you know, if I, let's say I hire a new employee, and I think if early on I had a conversation with them to say, hey, how do you like to receive feedback? You know, is it written? Is it verbal? Should we do it in the moment? Like just have kind of the understanding of here's how I'm going to deliver feedback. I think if you do it too late, there's not really that agreement up front. And it would be hard for somebody else to become a seeker or just want feedback all the time or be open to it. So is that really how you kind of think of it is this open upfront dialogue about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that perspective as here with a new employee. With any employee, even some of our managers say, gosh, you know, I haven't been this way before. So how do I do this without showing up like I've been doing it wrong all the time? And we say, you know what, just get vulnerable. Say, hey, I'm trying something new. I learned something new. And yes, seeking input from them, but also then given a little tidbit of, hey, here's something that I'm working on in my own career. Sometimes it's easier, Brandon, to frame it around my development rather than my behavior, something I'm working on. For example, gosh, I'm trying to be more skilled at the Excel worksheets that all consultants have to fill out when they're leading a project. And I might want to get some feedback on that. And so sharing that with one of my employees to say, hey, you know, here's something I'm really working on. 
I'm working on it, getting these worksheets done. Would you, you know, give me some feedback on mine? So actually asking the employee, you know, so become a seeker of your employee rather than it can be a little more intimidating to say, hey, give me some feedback on how I am as your manager. It's kind of my behavior and my being, right? And so absolutely stepping out there and being vulnerable and like Tamara penned in the book and has always penned for all of us that follow her, go first, just go out there and go first. Yeah, I love that. You also talk about, which I'm a huge fan of Carol Dweck's work with the growth mindset. I think Mm. when you talk about and coach people into that growth mindset, because a lot of us, you know, especially as we're growing up, we have sort of that fixed mindset It's always going to be this way. But as we become adults and we have these interactions, we know that it's just we're constantly learning and we can continue to grow. Why is the growth mindset really such a huge component to fixing the whole feedback issue we have? Growth mindset, I think, is pivotal to everything. It's pivotal to the way we extend feedback and certainly to us as receivers. And here's why. Because everything we're saying is in context, the work environment, my growth and my development. And if you're not growing, learning, changing at work, you're simply stuck and you're probably not contributing to your potential. So a growth mindset, I can learn something new. I can try something different. I can listen to your point of view is essential for the feedback movement because then and only then would I even consider listening to feedback from someone else other than myself, right? I think as extenders, as you know, the typical managers, sometimes we get stuck thinking about a person in a fixed mindset way. Brandon will never be this. Laura's not a spreadsheet girl. So I put her in a box and I then fail to nurture and grow her if she wants to grow in that way. So I think it's important for everybody to kind of think about mindset. And the neuroscience too behind it is fascinating because everything we're saying about feedback, getting over the fear of feedback is kind of the same pattern that Dweck and her team talk about. The brain is uh, plastic and you can switch your mindset. You can switch your thoughts. You can switch the way you think about feedback too. So that is a huge component and ties to growth mindset. I think the corollary to that too is, you know, we talk about this idea of flipping the switch from prove to improve. And I think whether you're seeking feedback or extending feedback, if you're coming at it because you're trying to prove something, I'm trying to prove I'm good at those spreadsheets, I'm trying to prove I'm a smart manager, we really don't enter it with, you know, the best intent or the best approach. And usually, are not having a good experience. Where if we move to this idea of improve, I'm trying to improve, you know, a certain attribute of my capabilities or my personality or whatever it is I'm working on, or I'm trying to help that person improve versus prove that they've been doing it wrong. We certainly move into a far better space to be providing valuable feedback. Several months ago, I had interviewed Carol Sanford on her book, No Feedback, which is really the opposite of your book. Her thing, I get her point where she's really describing how feedback is coming from somebody's vantage point. So it's biased naturally because it's from their lens. So 
I want to get your perspective and your opinion. Do you agree with that in some form? Or are you more on the line of, hey, we can coach people into giving better, meaningful feedback? Or is it something else altogether? You know, it's funny because I talk about back when I was writing the performance management book, I actually went through and tried to edit the word feedback out because I thought it was such a loaded word. And people always, as we talked about, go to the negative and it wasn't helping my cause, if you will. And then after doing work in this space for so long, I finally got really, you know, it really became so evident to me that we can't eradicate feedback. It is inherent in the way we talk to each other, the words we use, the way we think about how we improve a project or improve a product or how we grow. And so that's why we got to that idea of we can't get rid of it or say no feedback. What we have to do is redefine it, right? I would say in some senses, we're probably in agreement with her in the fact that the way we've been doing feedback is wrong. It's mostly hurtful and not helpful. And so we agree with that, but we don't think we can just leave it there. We think we have to redefine feedback. How are you going to do it differently? And as much as possible, and this is again where we would be agreeing with her, is take out the bias and the judgment and really move into what we call the fine art of noticing. Here's what I'm noticing. And I'm not necessarily going to add my why I think you're doing it that way, or my perspective or my assumptions about it, I'm just simply going to share what I've noticed and what the effect I've noticed of that action is, and then have a conversation with you about it. Because we are human. If you look in the Wikipedia on bias, you know, there's what 101 biases we come with. I mean, we are just loaded. So there's no way mm-hmm. we're going to escape that yeah. humanness of who we are. So I think we just need to adjust for it. And that adjust for it is try to remove those assumptions and bias and judgment and just share what we're noticing. Absolutely. I love the way you frame that up with noticing because you even wrote in the book that like what might seem as open and direct to one person can seem completely harsh and really sharp to another. It's like, we're not all built the same way to receive feedback. But I think if you sort of look at it from an objective standpoint, like, hey, here's what I'm noticing. I don't think anybody would receive that as really harsh because you're starting from that point of view. It's like, hey, this is my observation. That's it. Right. Absolutely. And then the conversation model, you know, there's behaviors and noticing and mindful noticing and all of those practices that we can get better at. And then... You can move into, yes, there are actually ways to move into conversation after you've, you know, provided a bit of noting, et cetera. And I think, again, we probably share Carol Sanford's point of view because we say, you know, then don't tell the answer. Don't say, you know, here's what you did wrong and here's what you need to do differently. It's much more the here's what I noticed. Mm, yeah. Here's the impact it had but then move into what we call a catalyzing conversation, right? Conversations that lead you somewhere together. Don't assume you know the answer or don't tell me what to do differently because the biological human in you will resist being told what to do differently. But if we can get to a, maybe it's a one or two minute conversation that says, you know, here's what I noticed, Tamara, rather than, you know, Here's an example we used in a workshop the other day. You were completely unprofessional in that meeting yesterday, Tamara. That was some feedback that someone was going to give her. And we break it down. What did you notice? What was going on in the meeting? Truly. Uh, She was looking out the window. 
Okay. That's the fact. Here's what I noticed. You were looking out the window. Everything else in the statement was ego or bias or the story you were telling yourself. She's looking out the window. That's totally unprofessional. She's pissed off at all of us, blah, blah, blah. When we go through this and kind of mark through everything that's just ego or bias. Yes. Yeah. What you come up with was Tarama was looking out the window. Now, sometimes we coach people to say, if you have to use this language, the story I was telling myself was that you were very unprofessional. But what you want to do is open it up with a question and say, what was going on for you? And then you can get to that discussion. I love this idea that you had in the book. And I want you to use that example. You just did illustrate this. You said, give short feedback, long reflections. So what you probably meant by that was really just the facts, observation, and then give somebody a chance to reflect on that feedback. So use that example to what I just described there with that concept from the book. Yeah, feedback short, reflection long is Again, Tamara's brainchild. And by the way, the drawing of feedback short reflection long is by her beautiful and talented daughter, Ivy Mosher. That's a little something for our podcast listeners. Did you know that our children are the illustrators of this book? I did not know that. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah. (laughs) So her Ivy did all the hand sketch work. Wow. And my Logan did the illustrative arts and the chapter heads and the cover. So just a little shout out for our product. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> okay. So you were saying feedback short, reflection long on what we just talked about. Yeah. yeah. Because you know what? Again, psychological safety, don't blow me up, beat me up, give me some facts and then encourage the feedback giver. We encourage them to, you know, something to reflect on or a question to reflect on. And maybe even as a receiver, some go away time and think about it Mm -hmm. because you cannot process some deep, heavy stuff in the minute. You got to reflect on it. You're going to churn on it. You're going to, you know, some feedback that I got 10 years ago, I'm still chewing on it. And you know what? (laughs) It was eventually right for me. So that's what we're saying is do not drop a bomb and expect an immediate flip of mindset or anything, give people space, ask for space to go reflect, think about it, chew on it, you know, then come back and decide what you're going to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with that long reflection, you know, if you've been given something that just sort of surprised Mm -hmm. you or you'd never thought about before, you know, it does take some time to pull it apart and go, you know, first, hey, is this true? Is this something I'm willing to accept? What's the implication? Why is it true? You know, and then taking that time to even, you know, put your seeking hat back on and go validate it with other people. Mm, You know, hey, have you noticed that in most meetings, I seem to be staring out the window? Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. You know, are you witnessing the same thing? And how is that affecting you? And, you know, maybe it's just I'm in deep thought. But I didn't realize everyone thinks I'm not paying attention. Yeah. Right? And so just taking that time to reflect on it. But then also as a seeker, you can start to validate it or seek other perspectives on the same idea that will give you even a richer information yeah. to sort of noodle on. I, I like that idea of validating it because like any scientist would do, they uncover some facts, they build a hypothesis, and then they go out and test that over and over and over again to prove it right. That's no different with feedback. It's like, okay, well, there's an observation that somebody made. Well, do I need to make a shift? Is it just a one-off? And then you go out and validate it. It's like, well, actually, shit, it's actually true. 
need to make some changes. Well, and I think that's true about our strengths too, right? There's sometimes we are most blind to what others perceive as our strengths or our superpowers. And maybe it's because they're just something we've always been good at. And we've never really realized the value that they provide, or maybe it's something that we didn't used to be good at. And now we are, and we have not recognized how we've progressed. But sometimes it's those things that we just really need to take in and learn like, oh, I really am good at this. And I really can help people by bringing more of it. and I can lean into this more. And, you know, that can be just as powerful, not more. Let's talk about a method of giving feedback that a lot of people use. It's called the shit sandwich. I don't know if you coined that. I've heard that before. But describe that and why it's not such a good idea. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because we did call it in the shit sandwich in the book. I don't know that we can claim that we coined that. I think others have used it as well. <laughs> it has many names. We've heard it called many things. Yeah, in fact, it's even in Wikipedia. You can look it up. It's in there with a definition. When we first put it in the book, we had our publishers come back and say, oh, you know, we don't think we should be using that word. We really think we should be calling it the poo sandwich. (laughs) And Laura and I were like, no, No, sorry, we can't go there. We just got to stick with the shit sandwich, (laughs) which is what we did. That's one of my favorite drawings is the sandwich board in the book that talks about the shit sandwich. But it's, you know, it really is this idea. And unfortunately, we've trained people for many years to do this, this idea of, Hey, say something nice, load in that hard feedback, and then wrap it up with something nice again, right? And so it ends up feeling like this disingenuous compliments that you're giving people and smashing in. It's manipulative. It's manipulative and smashing in the thing that you really want them to take away. And the sad thing is, even if you really meant those nice things, even if they were, you know, truly heartfelt and you wanted that person to hear them, they're not going to hear them because it's going to get lost in you know, this slicey, big fat sandwich you just loaded on them. Right. Either that or it's easing in to the tougher thing and the tougher thing that you really did need to have a conversation with, because again, you're trying to save space. You're trying to be kind of the nice guy. And then you don't really deal with the issue at hand and easing in. Again, we say, you know what? Unclear is also unkind. You really didn't get to the bottom of the issue. So, yeah, we use the Connect Conversation model as a direct antidote to the shit sandwich. And why? Again, because when you said it's confusing the brain, the brain is whipsawed back and forth and doesn't know, you know, whether to trust this or not trust this. And so just being very clear and creating that base of trust and really calling out the issue Mm -hmm. is important. It was really clear to me is that just getting to the point and probably separating feedback, whether it's positive, you know, separate that. And then if it's negative, get right to the point, make it about the observation. And I think people will be more likely to listen and take away that piece versus, you know, you mix all the shit sandwich together, it's going to get lost. You know, the C in our connect model is about context. And that's the context of where have you witnessed this, but also why are you sharing this information? Because I think it's really important if it's something that is tough, really helping that person understand your intent and that your intent is, you know, with their best interests in mind. And hopefully you've built that relationship we've talked about. So you're coming at this saying, I know this is the person you want to be, or this is the type of capability you want to be demonstrating, or 
this is the future direction you're wanting to head. And in that context, this is why I'm sharing this with you because this is getting in your way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the one thing I've noticed and let's talk about, as we said, go through the process from there. But just to be really clear on why even are you sharing this information? And when you do the shit sandwich, it's totally muddy. Like, what is the intent of this conversation, right? What are you trying to do here? <laughs> Let me pose a question for you. So what if we're in a situation where we're starting to give feedback? We think it was the right approach. But about halfway through, either the message is just getting lost. The person is obviously not loving the feedback or even receptive to it. And they just tend to be... There's tuning out or their body language is telling you that they don't agree. What do you do in that situation? Because I feel like that is probably a regular occurrence. Yeah, I think that probably is a regular occurrence. I'll be interested in Laura's perspective, but I think one thing we would say for sure is you need to be highly tuned in to the conversation you're having, right? And if you're seeing the receiver backing away, getting angry, maybe getting stressed out or just starting to shut down, I think just being able to call it and say, look, it feels like you're not in a place where this is the right time or the right moment for this. Let me step away. You let me know when you want to continue this conversation because I'm here for, you know, again, because I'm trying to help, not hurt. So if you're at a point where you want to talk about this further, come back to me or look, can we set a time where we're going to talk about this, right? And just, I think the more that we can just be sort of transparent and authentic in these situations is so much better rather than trying to pretend we're all, you know, and just kind of power through. That's where we get into dangerous territory. Mm, absolutely. Well, I'm such a huge proponent of feedback. I appreciate your work that you're doing on it. I really believe that feedback is the way that we can all improve and get better. I just don't think that everybody's built the same as far as either receiving it or even giving it. So for an action item for listeners, either for their people or for themselves, how do they get better at feedback? And like, where do you want to drive people to as far as getting better at this? I think we would say start with seeking, right? And as, as a seeker of feedback, the first thing you have to do is even get clear on what is the type of feedback you want. It's interesting. We had a leadership team meeting yesterday at, at People Firm and we were talking, we actually did a sort of 30 minute, hey, what are we working on? How are we helping each other? How are we taking the lessons from the feedback book and applying them? And several of my peers said, you know, the thing that I realized is I've been far enough into my career, I'm not even sure what I'm working on anymore. <laughs> and they said, the first thing I had to do was take a step back and think about what kind of feedback do I even want? Like what's important to me at this stage of my career? And so I think once you get clear with, well, what is it that I need? What would help me? Then, you know, starting to do some seeking on that one thing, like, you know, and going to those people who you trust, who you have a relationship with and tell them what you're doing and starting to seek that feedback and ask them for some noticing. Hey, I'm working on this thing. You know, just kind of watch me. If you see me doing great or veering off tracks, let me know, would you? And, you know, that's where I think we start. Where can people learn more about your book, about you guys and what you're up to? Tamara, Laura, you both co-wrote this book and you do, I imagine, a lot of consulting and speaking. Where can people find more about what you're up to? Yes. Feedback in particular, the book is on Amazon and we are on www.peoplefirm.com and we do tons of people-related 
consulting and workshops and lots of cool interactive feedback workshops starting in the fall. So we would love for people to grab the book and come talk to us. Yeah. So people can join our mailing list. We send content. We don't spam people. And we're also both on LinkedIn and we've been getting a lot of conversations happening on LinkedIn as well. So please join us there. Awesome. Laura, Tamara, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Brandon. Oh, thank you. It's been great, Brandon. We appreciate it. 